You're listening to the Speaking Tongues podcast. I'm your host, El Sharice. Each week, I sit down to a conversation with multilinguals where we discuss and celebrate language, life, and culture through our own perspectives. Episode 50, Speaking Iraqi and Palestinian Arabic. Hello, language lovers. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Speaking Tongues, the podcast in conversation with multilinguals. My guest this week is Bilal, and we're talking about his two dialects of Arabic from both Iraq and Palestine. In this episode, Bilal tells us about growing up in an Arabic-speaking home with his family, but veering away from the language as he grew up. Our conversation centers around how he is taking the steps to improve his Arabic, but we also talk about the realities of learning a language as an adult and some of the ups and downs and often reluctant feelings we all encounter as adult language learners. What I loved about talking to Bilal is how he's been able to observe the way that the language is structured. And he gives us some amazing examples in this conversation. He also tells us some really fun stories of his encounters with Arabic speakers from other countries. And we talk about how being able to communicate can be such a small thing, but can also turn out to be so meaningful. I love conversations like this because there are so many ways to connect to a language and a culture. And I think it's really important to emphasize the journey that some of us take to fluency and not just celebrate and emphasize the end result. If you've been listening to this show for a while now, you know how much I admire the Arabic language. So having this conversation with Bilal was truly an honor and a privilege for me. I want to say a big thank you to Bilal for sharing bits of your language journey with us and for inspiring other adult language learners, myself included. As always, if you enjoy this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Speaking Tongues podcasts on Apple Podcasts so that other language lovers like ourselves can find the show. Okay, let's chat. Welcome back to another episode of Speaking Tongues. I am here today with Bilal. How are you today, Bilal? I'm good, Elle. How's it going? Fantastic. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. And thank you so much for making the time to talk with me in this episode. Uh, I like to start each episode with the same question. And that is, what is your first language and how many languages do you speak? Uh, So I speak two languages, English and Arabic. Arabic. If I had to define one as my first language, it would probably be English because it's the language that I use every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up and spent a majority of my life in the U.S., so my English is fluent. Uh, but I grew up in a Arabic-speaking household, uh, and for a brief period of time, I also spent uh, some time in the United Arab Emirates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I speak Arabic. It's good, not great. Uh, conversational understanding is is really easy for me. Mm-hmm. Speaking is okay. Reading and writing is challenging. I see. I see. (laughs) I think that's like typical, you know, it's because if you didn't really study it, study it in school, you wouldn't have an opportunity to like read and write it. Right. Right. I I mean, I, we, I did do a little bit of school, uh, both in the U S and overseas. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was very, it was very high level. It was never really in depth. Arabic is like a very complex, it's a, be- it's a beautiful language, but it's also very complex. 
Yeah. And unless you really dedicate time to learning and studying it, uh, it could be very difficult to master. And so uh, conversationally, you know, I could have a conversation with somebody. It's it's a little broken. It might sound, you know, not the most fluent. My grammar is completely off, mm-hmm. uh, but, but I can get by. Mm-hmm. So tell me about growing up. Uh, you said you grew up in an Arabic speaking household. Um, mm-hmm. What languages did you hear? I guess uh, if you heard any other languages in your home or in your community when you were growing up. Mm-hmm. So both my parents spoke uh, Arabic at home. Uh, my dad is Iraqi. He's from uh, Iraq, and so he spoke Arabic with a Iraqi dialect. And my mom is from Palestine. She's Palestinian, and so she spoke Arabic with a Palestinian dialect. So I grew up in a uh, dual dialect household. Uh, yes. Uh, and, uh, in the community, it was pretty interesting. It's a very small college town in the middle of Missouri. Uh, it just so happened to have like a very small Arab community, predominantly Iraqi. And so, uh, the other Arab families that we spent a lot of time with, uh, and the friends that I made, they were predominantly from Iraq. And so here in the U S I had a a lot of exposure to the Iraqi uh, mm-hmm. dialect. And then when we would travel overseas to visit my family, predominantly my mom's side of the family, uh, my grandparents, my aunts, uncles, cousins, they spoke Arabic with a Palestinian dialect. And so mm-hmm. I had a lot of exposure to, to, to that dialect. Um, but for the most part, it was a pretty small community. And so a majority of the time, uh, I spent outside of home was in English. And so uh, when I first started elementary school, my mom had actually placed me in ESL class because I guess until I was like six or seven years old, we only spoke Arabic at home. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But she, she was surprised to find out that I spoke English pretty well. Uh, and they told me I didn't need ESL class. I think it was <laughs> I think maybe I just watched enough cartoons and Nickelodeon to, to, to master English uh, yeah. on, on the side. And so, uh, yeah, but for the most part, I would say like 90% of my, my communication or my language uh, outside of home happened in English. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you, when you were in school and probably not at a young age, but maybe middle school, high school, or maybe college, did you have any opportunities to uh, learn any other languages? Were there any other languages that were compulsory to learn where you grew up? Uh, so when we moved overseas uh, to the United Arab Emirates for high school, uh, it was an American school, it was an American curriculum. So all the, the, the major courses or the major classes were done in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we did, we were required to take both Arabic classes and French class. Okay. Uh, so for Arabic, being that I was a, a U.S. citizen, I was considered like a, a, a non-Arab, and so they placed me in an ASL class. Arabic is the second language, mm-hmm. uh, and it wasn't really beneficial to me. I wasn't complaining. I was okay with it, uh, but it wasn't really a, a challenge or an opportunity to really learn. We were going through and doing things like the alphabet, uh, learning very basic words and very basic phrases, things that had already known just growing up in, a, in an Arabic speaking household. Right. Uh, and so I was never really challenged or pushed to learn uh, Arabic uh, at a higher level. That's really interesting that you went to 
a school with an American curriculum and you had the same experience that so many people have in the US with learning other mm -hmm. languages, like you learn the basics, but you're not really pushed to learn to uh, advance. Mm -hmm. And become in fact, fluent. It was, yeah, yeah it, 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 it's true. In fact, we were discouraged from speaking Arabic in any other class besides what? Arabic class. You, we really? were, you were, yeah, you were given a detention if you spoke Arabic, uh, for example, like chemistry or biology. Uh, it had to be to be English only, and then only in Arabic class were you allowed to 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 speak Arabic. So it was it was pretty rigid. It was pretty controlled. Hmm. Uh, they were trying to discourage people from speaking Arabic outside of outside of Arabic class. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I mean, I. I understand it. They, they, you know, there's a lot of people who spoke Arabic very fluently, but they wanted to push people to, to, you know, being in a, in an Arab country, they wanted to push people in an American school to speak English and to mm -hmm. learn and master English. Right. Uh, and so their, their objective was probably good. But I think for people like me who spoke English perfectly mm. uh, and struggled with Arabic, it wasn't an environment that was conducive to, to learning Arabic very well. Right. So were you have were you in class with a lot of international students? For, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So yeah. I guess that makes sense, like uh for them to improve their English, but then also to know Arabic because they're in the Emirates. Correct. Right? That was coming from the from the opposite uh uh side of things from everybody else. A lot of students were from Lebanon or Jordan or Syria or the United Arab Emirates and so naturally their Arabic was nat was a lot stronger than mine. Mm -hmm. uh, and so speaking Arabic with other people was more, was easier for them, was natural for them. And so they were being pushed or encouraged to speak English uh, in other classes so that they can enhance and, and, and strengthen their English. Whereas me coming from the US, my English was nearly perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't really have that opportunity to strengthen my Arabic outside of Arabic class because everything was done in English. Oh man, that's really interesting. I, I just recently, I had a conversation with somebody else about um, international school or American school in, mm -hmm. in, the, in the Gulf region. And like, mm -hmm. I didn't know that was a thing. And now I'm so interested in like the families and the school like the the curriculum, obviously, but the families and the kids who who um, are living in this region and go to this school, like, I want to know so much more. And I, I'm not asking you uh, about it. I can <laughs> I'll look it up on my own time. <laughs> but I think it's just like this is the, this is a really good thing about doing the show is like I learn so many new things that I mm -hmm. didn't even know I didn't know about. So mm -hmm. um, it, it's it's funny because. I remember when we were moving, I think, I think we moved in, in sixth grade, I was starting seventh grade there. And I had this fear of moving overseas, moving to a new school. I was like, my Arabic is not good enough to, to learn math or chemistry or biology. How, I'm in a struggle so much when we get there, only to find out that it was not too different from school in the U.S. In fact, it, it seemed like they took the, the U.S high school model or middle school model, and they just dropped it in the Middle East and they created a, a closed or uh, school system that operated on its own. And so it could be fully uh, integrated into English and have all the classes and curriculum. And then just so happened to have 
Arabic, almost like a foreign language within mm. the Middle East. And so yeah. it was no different than French or German or Italian that you would learn in uh, high school in the US. Uh, they took Arabic and kind of just plopped it into the curriculum over there as, a, as an additional quote unquote foreign language in uh, an Arabic speaking country. In an Arabic speaking so, country, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it, it never, it was never really designed, at least I feel like designed to, uh, help people that predominantly spoke English to actually learn Arabic. I mean, I had some other students with me that were from South Africa or from England, the UK. And I think we all went through similar experiences uh, where it didn't really provide us a strong foundation for learning Arabic. I, mm -hmm. I guess, was in a unique situation where I came from an Arabic speaking household. Yeah. But it seemed a lot of times like those books that we were learning about or studying in high school were kind of just adapted or taken from very basic elementary school Arabic courses. And mm -hmm. then they kind of just gave it to us and be like, you know, these are for kids that are eight, nine years old, but you can kind of use them to get started. Oh my God. <laughs> I think it's really interesting to me. And that's why I was laughing a while ago about, you know, you're teaching Arabic as a foreign language in an Arabic speaking country. And mm -hmm. I, it just makes me think like, it makes me think about, and you may not have an answer for this, but if you are studying there, let's say you are from South Africa or from the UK, and you don't have an, um, you know, Arabic speaking parents, you don't come from an Arab speaking household. If you, you can, it seems like you can essentially isolate yourself away from the Arab speaking community in the Emirates without ever having uh, to really, is that true? Absolutely. In fact, you can get by in the Emirates for sure. A lot of other Arab countries too, without speaking a single word of Arabic. You can, oh everybody, English is very, is very, uh, uh, it's pretty well known. I think, Yeah. especially in the, you know, the major cities, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, if you go to Bahrain or Kuwait or Saudi Arabia, you'll encounter probably a majority of the population speak English not maybe not fluently, but you can get by. And so you can speak, uh, you don't have to speak a word of Arabic and still get around and, and, and travel and, you know, order mm -hmm. food without, without any real struggle, uh, which is fortunate if you're a traveler, unfortunate if you're really trying to, you know, learn the language and learn about the culture. Right. And that's what I mean. Like if you move there, if I'll put it this way, if I move there, me as myself, black girl mm -hmm. from New York City. And I said, <laughs> I'm going to move to the Emirates and I want to have this life in the Gulf. I want to interact with Arab people living mm -hmm. and working and going throughout their lives speaking Arabic in the Gulf. I don't mm -hmm. want, and this is because it's me, I don't want to <laughs> isolate myself in my English language. I mean, it's great to know that I can use it and get by, but it's like, if I'm going to go there and I can't interact with like the culture, I don't know like how valuable that would be for me. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's like a surface level experience. Like you're really not going to get a lot of depth and meeting from, from, from being there. If a majority, if not all of the street signs are written in English, the right. people that you interact with uh, predominantly speak English. You, you, you want to be able to, you know, uh, embed yourself in a situation where you maybe experience a little bit of discomfort. You might get a, lo a little lost, but you know that you're kind of like 
you're you're in the heart of that culture as opposed to just kind of like skating by yeah. Uh, yeah using the same language just in a different location mm-hmm. well before I continue down this uh, <laughs> tangent that I've gone on, I want to just uh, be mindful of the time that we have talking. So I want to ask you, uh, with your parents' heritage from different countries, um, were there any moments growing up uh, in terms of language and culture where maybe one thing your family did or said was very Iraqi and another thing was very Palestinian? and if if that did happen uh what what was that like what was what was it like having those two uh very distinct cultures like together and and growing up that's that's actually a great question it's something i think about a lot especially recently uh when i think back to growing up arabic was just arabic to me my parents spoke these two different dialects and i kind of absorbed them just as standard arabic uh, only more recently have I been like actively working to decipher and decodify these two dialects. And so, mm. uh, for, for example, like you could say something very simple, like a simple statement, uh, and it would be, you would use like different words or different pronunciations of the same word in the two different dialects. So if you say, could you pour me a cup of tea uh, in a more Iraqi dialect, you would say, and then in a Palestinian dialect, it would be mumkin timdidi kasa che. So the words are different. For example, like pouring, it's sub versus timdidi. These are like two completely different words. Kub uh, versus kasa. And then even the same word shay in, in Iraqi, you would do almost like a ch instead of a, an sh. And so instead of shay, it would be chai. Okay. Uh, and so. I kind of absorbed both and I never really kind of actively tried to decipher like which is which, but I, 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 in, in like daily language or, or when I'm speaking Arabic, sometimes people can actually pick out words that, uh, that I use. So for example, I was actually going, I was at a, a Palestinian restaurant a couple of months ago. And I, I went in and I spoke to the owner and asked him if the seating outside was theirs. I said, uh, and this word, he heard it and he's like, oh, are, are you Iraqi? And I was like, yeah, he's like, this is a very Iraqi word. Like as soon as you said it, I immediately knew that you were from, from uh, Iraq. And wow. it, turned, it turned into this whole conversation. He was Palestinian, but he happened to go to university in Baghdad and we had this like 10, 15 minute conversation and it all stemmed from, you know, using this word uh, in an Iraqi dialect. And so I think that's the, one of the beautiful things about Arabic in that it's so diverse and different. Right. But, but I think that kind of almost turns into like a conduit or an opportunity to kind of like bridge us closer together. Yeah, uh, you can hear when somebody uses a specific type of word or a dialect, and you immediately know or sense where they're from, and that can kind of like spur a conversation or a connection. Mm-hmm. I think that's an incredible story, and I'm I'm really glad that you were able to like, I'm I'm glad that you were able to have that experience. <laughs> it is it's it's it is interesting. I mean, these experiences happen all the time. I remember uh, another time where I was walking. 
somewhere downtown near, I think, Madison Square Park. And these two, these two women approached and they asked me if I knew where a restaurant was nearby. And I could tell by their English accent that they were probably Egyptian. And oh so gosh. I asked them in Arabic, I said, you know, are, do you, you know, are you Egyptian? And they just like, they cracked these smiles and we started <laughs> a little conversation in Arabic. And they told me that they're visiting from Egypt and they've been here, here and here. And they're trying to go to, to all these places. And again, it was like a little, it, it was like a, it was almost like a mundane moment, but it, it, through that connection or through that interaction, that, that moment almost sudden like gained meaning or it became a memory right. uh, that I'll, that I'll never forget because it's just like recognizing where somebody is from based on their dialect or their accent. And then all of a sudden you form a connection with somebody, even if it's for like five, 10 minutes and you never see them again. Yeah. It's still something that's, that's memorable. Right. And it's really helpful for someone in that situation because you don't know where you're going. You're in a new city, you're visiting and you're just mm -hmm. like, okay, this guy, he's a brother, you know, like he's, <laughs> and I don't mean it like that, but I think, I think that when you recognize someone who's in your part of your own circle, this is a brother, mm -hmm. this is a sister, this is someone that out of how many billion, million people in the <laughs> metropolitan area, you know, you're, you're looking for someone who can give you some help mm -hmm. um, and then you have someone who can speak your language. It's like, whoa. Right. I mean, and, it, and, and it, it creates like some trust. It creates a connection exactly. and, yeah. and, giving this information to a random stranger that you're visiting and you're from out of town uh isn't something that you would normally do but all of a sudden you know when you share the commonality of language mm -hmm. uh, it kind of just like opens up doors and it opens up trust so absolutely yeah, yeah. so you talked to me about you talked to me before uh we had this conversation about um your desire for speaking arabic as you got older beginning to fade um Tell me what that experience was like, I guess, growing up um, with your parents speaking Arabic and then just getting to that age where you just, you didn't want to continue speaking it. Yeah, I would, I would say, you know, a word that characterizes it and characterizes that is maybe ignorance. Uh, growing up in, in a small little town in the Midwest where outside of my immediate household, everything was spoken in English. I kind of had a very small worldview. And I remember thinking, you know, Arabic is just something I speak at home. It's not really something that I'm going to need in the future. 90% uh, of my day is spoken in English. All the, the media and entertainment and books that I'm consuming are done in English. You know, Arabic is just a thing that happens at home, not realizing that there's this world beyond uh, uh, Missouri where, where Arabic is, is spoken. And so... I think at a young age in elementary, middle and high school, I never really saw the true value of speaking a second language, speaking Arabic. Mm. Uh, and so I remember distinctly, I attended a, a Sunday school essentially in, in, uh, in elementary and middle school. And we would go through the process of like learning the alphabet and learning Arabic. And uh, I remember in class, we would go through letter by letter and the teacher would say, okay, like the letter that, like everybody give me a word or shout out words that start with, with, with this letter. Mm -hmm. And everybody would say words and our, our homework was to, or our assignment was, we would have to write these words out on a piece of paper before being, having to go out to recess. 
uh, being allowed to go out to recess. Mm -hmm. And I wanted everybody else to not say any words because I, my main objective was I want to get out there and go to recess. I'm not really too interested <laughs> in learning Arabic. Uh, and so it was never really a priority to me. Now I realized that uh, language is a conduit to deepening our connection with our family, with our heritage, with our culture. Uh, I mean, speaking with my aunts and my uncles overseas, I speak in Arabic, but it's challenging to dig below the surface to have any real depth or meaningful conversation with my Arabic being uh, as limited as it is. Uh, it's definitely not something that I can replicate when I have a conversation in English. Uh, and so, you know, in my younger years, it wasn't really something that I saw as important, but now uh, I, re I mean, I think it's human nature to want to learn about your past, about your history, your family, your story. And I think language is essential to unlocking that. Right, right, for and, sure. Yeah, I've had so many great opportunities through my life to learn Arabic, and I've, I feel like I've squandered them all. Oh. And so uh, uh, I, I'm, taking, I'm realizing that now it's, it's such an important thing. And so now I'm, I'm starting to be more active uh, about finding resources. Uh, practicing Arabic daily, using it in conversation. One thing that I've I've struggled with uh, is you feel like your Arabic or your language is weak. And so in order, you feel a little maybe like embarrassed or shy about using it. And so you're reluctant to use it. Right. And that just creates like a cycle of your, your uh, fluency getting worse because you're not using it. You could study all the books. You can watch all the YouTube videos you want. If you're not practicing, constantly or consistently uh your the strength of your language and the fluency of your language will fade and so yeah. i think a lot of it was overcoming uh that fear of making mistakes being more confident about making mistakes about failing about being corrected mm -hmm. and once you break through that barrier and you start practicing and speaking with other people even if it's pretty weak uh i think you're you're it gets better over time yeah I, that's a lesson that I'm learning for myself, actually, too, is like, stop being afraid of mm -hmm. saying something stupid, you know, <laughs> because, <laughs> because um, everybody has to go through it at some point. And I think you're right. Once you can break through that barrier and you can get over your own ego, mm -hmm. um, I think you can really uh, get in touch with, you know, your your why, your reason for wanting to learn it. and and um, you can move forward and stop holding yourself up, stop standing in your mm -hmm. own way, I guess. I think, that, I think there's an expectation that, you know, language should be perfect. Uh, uh -huh. and, and so you're never, but you're never gonna like, just walk outside and start, you know, speaking a language perfectly or fluently. You're gonna make a lot of mistakes throughout the process and it's a learning process. And so mm -hmm. uh, that's what I've learned. I felt like I've had to hide, uh, how poorly I speak Arabic until it's drastically improved and I can kind of like show it off as this great fluent language. Right. I'm never going to get to that, that stage unless I make those mistakes initially and have awkward, weird interactions or conversations and be corrected. Mm -hmm. And, and that's really the only way that you're going to, you're going to improve. Yeah. Yeah. Was there an instance or maybe, um, uh, so anything specific 
that made you regain interest in speaking Arabic? Uh, I mean, I think, I think I've always known that it's something, is, you know, essential or important to me. Maybe when I was younger and I was a little more ignorant, I didn't realize the value or the weight that it carried. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's more so I've known that I've need, I need to improve it. It's just, I was always looking for an external motivation, something that to come along and push me to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, learning a language is not something that you can kind of rely on external motivation. It really requires you to kind of just dive in. And like we were talking about earlier, accepting mistakes, accepting failure uh, and learning throughout the process. Mm -hmm. I think if, if I was attributed to, to, to one specific event, I mean, I think the, you know, the pandemic over the past year has kind of uh, made us realize how important human connection is. Right. Uh, and I spoke a lot to my family overseas, probably more so than I had in the past during this period of time. I think my, my aunts and uncles were really interested in the experience of living in New York during the pandemic. Uh, and so I would call and give them a lot of those details, but I realized how important family is and heritage is and culture is. And again, if, if my Arabic is not as strong or as fluent as, as it could be, there's always going to be a threshold, uh, a, uh, a cap or, uh, a, a threshold that I won't be able to cross in terms of conversation or connection with family. And so uh, I've been trying to practice and strengthen it. And hopefully that'll serve as a way to kind of like better connect with family and better connect with culture and heritage. Mm -hmm. That's so exciting. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I told you this before, but um, I'm, I'm obsessed with Arabic. <laughs> I want to learn so bad, but I know mm -hmm. that I need to find the time. A fellow who works in my building, um, he was talking to me one day and he mentioned like his wife was going, this was like during the pandemic. And he said, oh, his wife and his daughter are going out of town for like a month. So he was saying how he had to get back and blah, blah, blah. And I said, I'm, you know, I like to talk to people. So I said, <laughs> where are they going? And he said, oh, they're going back to Egypt. And mm. I was like, oh my God. And I looked at him, I, I must've turned around so fast. I was like, are you Egyptian? <laughs> <laughs> and he must've thought like, oh God, like what is wrong with her? But um, he's like, I was like, are you Egyptian? He's like, yeah, like my family's from Egypt and his daughter I think was going to school, like she's going to college in Cairo, I think. And, oh, exciting. Yeah, and I really wanted to, you know, I know he had other things to do, but I just wanted to like, such as we are now, like I just wanted to like sit down and just like tell me everything about your culture, about Egypt and <laughs> about your language. And then I had my, my one Arabic word on deck that I always use and I really need to learn some more, but he was leaving and I said, shukran. And he <laughs> was just like, what? And then he said, afwan. And I was like, okay, wait, wait. And I said, I don't know that word yet. What does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And That's... I was just on, uh, so pleased with myself that, you know, and I, I know it's silly. It's really silly, but, you know, it's definitely not like 
the stories that you've had and making the connections with, um, you know, with other Arabic speakers. But I just like for me, knowing like one word meant so much to me. Mm-hmm. And then he said to me, he said, next time I see you, he said, uh, have another word or another <laughs> sentence or something. And I was like freaking out, like, oh, my God. Well, a lot of pressure. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. But um, I really think, I think that. No, go ahead. I, I was just going to say that that's an interesting, that's actually a great story because I think Arabic is, I don't know where it ranks in terms of like languages across the globe, but it's, it's a language that's, I know it's an official language of the UN and it's spoken in 20, 21, 22 countries. It is a major language, but it's not a language I think that a lot of people strive or crave to learn. Mm. Uh, It's not like Spanish or French or Italian or maybe even Russian. Like I think, I think there's these languages that people are drawn to or attracted to, to learn. And I often don't hear that Arabic is uh, one of them. It's, it's a very, it's, it's very complex and challenging, but it's also a very beautiful, majestic, poetic language. Uh, I mean, I can give you some examples of things that I've found uh, that I'm just kind of like just blown away by and it, yeah, tell me. I mean, I I think you said majestic, and to me, like that's that's how I feel. Like it's just mm-hmm. there's so much history in the language. There's so much pride mm-hmm. in the Arab people. Um, there's so much beauty in the language. There's so much beauty in the sounds of Arabic. And I hate, I hate when people say like, oh, Arabic sounds like angry or it sounds harsh, and it's like, no, are you, are you listening? No. Like, are you listening to the sounds of it? Because can, it doesn't sound like that at all. No, I mean, so like, like here's an example that that I've always just been amazed by. Arabic is is has uh, almost like a root system where letters form the foundation of a, a theme of words. So like, like there's three letters like ka, ta, and ba. Uh, these three letters have a almost like a theme or a foundation for things that have to do with writing. For example, if you just say them, uh, you know, in, in, in order, ketaba, that means uh, somebody wrote or he wrote. If you say kitab, that means book. If you say mektab, it means desk or office. All these things kind of have like a theme around writing mm-hmm. and they're all derived or rooted in the same three letters. Wow. Uh, and then adding to that complexity that the same three letters can be pronounced uh, differently or in different tones to uh, create a different word. So like ketaba is three letters. And if you pronounce it with that tone, it means wrote. But the same three letters, if you pronounce them differently or in a different tone, they mean book. Uh, It's it's on one hand, it's like, just, I don't know, I just feel like it, there's a lot of beauty and depth in that. On the other hand, it makes it complex because you could look at the word and read it in two different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, I think linguists have, like, developed little symbols that you can add above or below a letter to kind of, like, guide you or aid you in pronouncing the, the tone of a letter or the, the you know, the... The, you know, indicate how a tone or how a letter should sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as far as 
the Arabic sounding like extremely harsh or aggressive. I, I, I hear that all the time. I feel like it's, it's something that's exaggerated or perpetuated in the media. Yeah. I, when I, when I hear somebody speak Arabic, uh, I just, I just feel like it carries so much beauty and emotion and meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, another, another story about meeting a random Arab person here in my own building in the elevator. I stepped in a couple of months ago and I saw these two women who I recognized as, as Arabs. And I, I said a very standard traditional greeting, assalamu alaikum, which means like, peace be upon you. Mm-hmm. And their eyes lit up. They were like, whoa, who are you? Where are you from? <laughs> uh, when I told them I was half Palestinian, they became enamored. Like they were like, how, could, how did we not know that, you know, there's another Palestinian living in the building? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, just again through that through language through commonality commonality of language we shared a connection and the funny thing is two days later they stopped by and dropped off uh some sweets and <sighs> some food and i we now we have this like system of of dropping food to each other so she'll make me a meal i'll make them like a cake or some oh big good and and it, it, to the to the to the discussion about Arabic being aggressive, I th- I can't think of a of an instance where we've ended a conversation or ended an interaction that doesn't take like two to three minutes of saying goodbye. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like the language is rooted in like generosity and hospitality and kindness. Right. Like right. I I I have to say bye like five different times or in five different ways, mm-hmm. and it might take me like thirty seconds, and I feel like I don't have enough goodbye material because uh you know when they say goodbye they could say like thank you and express gratitude for like three four minutes and i'm like my arabic is so limited i could only say goodbye for like 30 to 45 seconds uh and it's and it's it's not enough you know like i have to express more gratitude and more thanks yeah so uh, that's like something i'm trying to like learn like how to how to perfect or or better when i want to thank somebody or say goodbye or greet somebody uh, mm-hmm. because I feel like it's the, the, the language just has such kindness and generosity right. rooted in it. Right. And I agree with you. I tell people all the time, like some of the nicest people that I've ever met and come across have been Arab speakers. I'm sorry, mm. Arabic speakers. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them have been Arab. Some of them have been African, but um you know, this is not something I want to get into and because I think it's like another topic for a different show, but like I hate the portrayal of uh, Arab people and Arabic speakers in Western media and I think it's mm. bullshit and, you know, I just, I wish that people would like open their eyes mm-hmm. and like just actually talk to people and meet people and understand people because we're, we're all human beings, you know, like... Mm-hmm. I, I will go on way too long about this, but <laughs> I, and I don't want to, but I just want to say that I agree with what you said about, you know, the majestic uh, aspect of the language and, and the kindness and, and giving and generosity um, mm-hmm. of, you know, Arabic speakers and Arab people. So you are improving your Arabic language mm-hmm. and Trying. What? You're trying. No, you're doing. You're doing. <laughs> you're not trying. Um, what steps have you started taking toward improving and how's it going? 
good question. So I think we talked about it earlier, but having, having a ton of confidence, being okay with making mistakes, being okay with sounding weird and being corrected. Again, like you, you use the word ego. Uh, it's important, I think, to let go of that ego and be willing to make mistakes. One thing that I definitely want to plug in, I don't have any stake or ownership in it, but it's a program that I, or a platform that I've been using that I found immensely helpful. It's called uh, Netakellem. Uh, and I think now during quarantine more than ever, it is a great uh, service or platform that people can use if they want to improve their Arabic. Uh, and it's kind of ingenious there. Uh, I believe it's a woman who started this company and she finds uh, predominantly refugees, people that have had to leave Palestine or Syria or Iraq or Lebanon, and they've been displaced in these other countries, sometimes in Europe, sometimes in South America. Uh, and they have these real tangible skill sets, but because they've been displaced, uh, you know, maybe the language uh, isn't as strong as it needs to be for, for where they've had to move. And mm -hmm. so they can't really readily use their, their skill sets, but they do have this uh, skill of speaking Arabic. And so uh, I have been, have been doing this for maybe three to four months, two hours a week, twice a week. I Skype with, uh, uh, what I would not consider a friend, a Syrian friend who lives in Brazil. Mm. And the conversation is fully in Arabic. Uh, we talk about our day, we talk about our lives, work, what we've been doing, what we plan on doing, just very conversational. Sometimes it's pretty surface. A lot of times it, it gets pretty deep. Mm. And what's, what's great about it is it's, it's a situation where you can be open about making mistakes. Like I will say, I will say a sentence, but then maybe like a, a, the last word, I just don't know how to say it in Arabic and I'll say it in English and he'll correct me and tell me, oh, well, this is how you would say it in Arabic. Or you said the statement or the sentence incorrectly, this is a better way to say it. Mm -hmm. And so on one hand, it's very conversational. You're never going to improve uh, language without conversing. Um, and so I found it immensely helpful. And he's even told me like, I can sense your Arabic is improving. I've also been uh, reading with him. And so we would open up a PDF. I would go through and read it. I'm still sounding out words. It feels like I'm in first or second grade. Uh, but but it feels like I'm I'm making progress and I'm improving and I'm feeling more confident about it. Yes. And so I know that they do other languages too. It might be Spanish and French. So I'd encourage people if they're really interested in especially learning Arabic, uh, they should check it out. It's called Nitakalem. And they even do dialects. You can actually specify the dialect that you're looking to speak. For example, you mentioned uh, Egyptian. They do have people on there that specialize in, in Egyptian dialect. So mm -hmm. uh, if, if people are interested in learning Arabic, uh, I think it's a great platform. Okay. I'm going to check it out personally. And <laughs> I'm also going to add it. Um, I'm also going to add it into the show notes so mm. that um, anyone listening can just click and, and take it from there. Um, Thank you for that. That's a really mm -hmm. helpful resource. I like I like resources and um, it's it's good to you know have people share what's working for them and what's not. So you're 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 learning, you're improving, your Arabic's getting better. Uh, what areas are, or I would say, what areas of learning um, improving your Arabic have been easy, and what areas have been more difficult for you? 
so speaking is getting significantly easier. I think the more that you speak with somebody, the more natural it becomes. Uh, reading is also improving a bit. Writing Arabic is, I think, immensely challenging. Hmm. Uh, it is completely different. I mean, you can't even really think about it in terms of translating or converting from English to Arabic. You kind of have to like cast aside that mindset and almost hmm. just like live in Arabic only. Right. Uh, and so writing is challenging. I think the script itself is very difficult. There are so many rules, complicated rules, I think, in Arabic where things are prolonged and things, uh, letters, I think letters just have so many ways in which they could be pronounced. Mm -hmm. um, for example, the letter A, ah, there are just right off the bat three ways in which the letter A ah can be pronounced, like the tone in which it could be said. You can say A, ah, U, and E. Uh, and then there are dozens, if not more, rules as to like how it could be pronounced. It could be um, extended, it could be shortened, it could be silent. It is just immensely complicated. And so uh, that ventures a little bit into reading. Again, like I mentioned earlier, you can see the same word and it could be pronounced two to three different ways and have two to, two to three different meanings. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's something that's just very challenging to master. So writing, I think, is most difficult for me. Uh, conversation is getting better and reading is also getting better. Yeah. It seems like um, <laughs> you, you said this, but as, as someone who like I haven't studied it at all and, you know, really looked at the alphabet in Arabic. Um, mm -hmm. It seems like for somebody who I mean, you at least have the background where you've been speaking mm -hmm. it and you've been seeing these letters for mm -hmm. most of your life. And I think that like, for me, this is why I say like, I really want to learn Arabic, but I feel like I'd have to cast everything in my life aside <laughs> because, and I, I don't mean that to, you know, be derisive. I just mean it in like, and look at the alphabet mm -hmm. and I look at how I'd have to not only learn the letters, and learn how they look and learn how they're written. But then I'd have to learn how they're spoken to. And it's, yeah. I, I, I sympathize you with completely. I, I often think like if I didn't have a background or a foundation in Arabic, how would I even manage this? Because mm -hmm. the, the, the written language is so, at least for me, very complicated. Uh, in, in English, every letter stands on its own. In, in Arabic, the letters, it depends on what letter comes before it and what yes. letter comes after it to dictate how it's written and how it's pronounced. Yes. Uh, and so there are so many rules and foundational rules to, to learning to read and write Arabic. And I feel like you have to dedicate a lot of time and practice in order to, to really get good at it. And mm -hmm. you can't, I think you can't even do that on your own. You can read books, you can watch lectures, you really need to sit with somebody that really understands the language uh, in order to, to, to fully understand and appreciate it. Uh, not to discourage you. anybody from, yeah. do, from doing that, but mm -hmm. I, I don't know how somebody could open a book, see Arabic and, and read it or pronounce it or say it. It just, it just 
doesn't seem like a the language is conducive to doing that. It, it needs somebody right. has to sit with somebody who understands it. Well, let me tell you a true story, sir, that I told this episode <laughs> on, um, I told this, I told this story probably more than once. So I'm telling you again, cause I don't, I don't know who's heard it or who's not heard it. But um, when I was in college, I studied Italian and I studied French. And when I, I didn't study them as my major, but I took classes in them. And then when I got out of college, I wanted a new language challenge. And I said, this is my time to learn Arabic. I had not one Arabic speaking friend um, or you know anybody in my life who spoke Arabic. So what did I do? What I did the same thing that I would do, you know, foolishly uh, to learn anything. I went to the bookstore and I bought a book. <laughs> It's a good place to start. Right. So I said, I got this book. I think it was like Arabic for dummies or something. It was like something like really <laughs> rudimentary. And I got this book. I may still have it. I keep meaning to check my parents' house to see if it's still there. <laughs> um, and I felt, I, you couldn't tell me a single thing walking out of that store. Like I just knew I was on my way to my new Arabic speaking life. And I was so excited. I tell you, I didn't get past the letter A in Arabic because, <laughs> because as you said, there's many ways to pronounce it. And as I'm reading this, I'm reading English words in a book, mm -hmm. that's not going to tell me how to pronounce it. No, you know? it, it doesn't, tr it doesn't translate at all. At least right. I, I, you know, I don't think so. Right. So that's as far as I got. <laughs> I, I think it was maybe I stuck with it for maybe a week and a half, maybe 10 days. And I said, mm. uh, you know, I, th I think it's too late to take this book back, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think yeah. this is an effective method for me. <laughs> yeah. I've, I found, uh, you know, as you did, it needs, it needs guidance. Right. I mean, there are letters in the Arabic alphabet that don't exist in English. And so I don't know how somebody would even be able to, to to pronounce it or say them correctly. I think also Arabic has a lot of again depth and meaning. There are there are words in Arabic, like a single word that I feel like require multiple sentences in English to really convey what they're trying to mean. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I and I I haven't even reached that stage. Like I'm still struggling with with those with those those words. And so mm -hmm. uh, you can take a full like a like a, a half a page of Arabic and it would require like two to three pages of translation in English to really convey what that, what that half page of text is, is saying. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's immensely complex. I would, I'd recommend people find uh, somebody that speaks Arabic, even courses I feel like have their limitations, conversational Arabic and speaking with other people is really, I think the best way to get started uh, mm -hmm. in, in learning Arabic. Yeah. What are some things about the Arabic language and Arab culture in the Gulf or in the Middle East that you would want people to be aware of that they may not be aware of? Uh, again, the Arabic language has so much depth and meaning and emotion. The culture is very generous and hospitable and kind. I think back to some of the, the best moments that I remember of traveling overseas and visiting family is I have some family in uh, Lebanon and Lebanon in Saida and 
I remember going to the souk, the old market, and it was just so beautiful how I remember distinctly like the memories that I that I that meant the most to me was like walking with family down the souk, the old market. Uh, the people were so kind and warm and generous. The place was the the environment was like rich with history and culture and architecture. Uh, I, I love I love like old cities and history and architecture. So seeing like the archways mm. and the cobbled streets and the stonework, seeing the people uh, shopping at the bakeries and buying spices and street food and textiles and walking along the Mediterranean, I think there's a perception, a negative perception of Arabic and of uh, the language of, you know, a negative perception of Arabic and the Middle East. And it's really a very beautiful, simple, uh, generous and giving culture. And I think that's reflected a lot in the language. Again, like when we were talking earlier about the five minutes that people spend when when they say like goodbye and they're expressing thanks and gratitude uh i think that's that's seen in the language and in the culture just how kind and hospitable people are yeah i'm glad you shared that as soon as you mentioned like the the marketplace and the spices and stuff i'm like oh i want to be there <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing i plan on doing uh post pandemic is going back and really, you know, those are opportunities that when I did when I was younger, I think a lot of things you do when you're a child mm -hmm. uh, or younger, you don't really recognize the the blessing. You're not really grateful for, you know, the experience of being able to visit another country and see extended family. Mm -hmm. uh, and you look back on that now and you're like, wow, like, I wish I didn't. I wish I took advantage of that opportunity more. And it's something that you want to achieve and, and and do again when you're older so as yeah. soon as uh as soon as this is over and travels back to normal i'll be i'll be spending a lot of time i think overseas trying to go visit family and and relive some of those those yeah. memories that i had when i was younger i hope you have the opportunity to do that um i think you've definitely inspired me to want to go and you know visit the gulf and and uh visit the middle east and just I want to just soak it all in, you know, because it's like, yeah. I know it's a lot, but I, I would love to see it someday. And that's like one of my big dreams in life to be able to do that. Um, thank you so much, Bilal, for having this conversation with me. And I've had so much fun talking with you and learning from you as well. Um, I'm so happy you were able to make the time to talk with me. And I like to end each episode on the same question do you have any jokes popular sayings tongue twisters cool slang words idioms words of wisdom or words of advice in arabic to share uh i do um something that i that i've been reflecting back on especially with the past year that we've had uh in life there's always challenges and difficulties and setbacks, many of them that are beyond our control. And so there's a saying uh, in Arabi, uh, oh, 
طريقة تفكيرك عن المواقف and what that translates to is don't always try to change the situation uh, instead change the way you think about a situation mm. I think sometimes you experience like a setback or a difficulty and the uh, the harm is magnified by how you think about that difficulty or that situation Mm-hmm. And if if you kind of reframe the way you think about it, uh, or find some sort of moment of gratitude or thanks, uh, you can always kind of alleviate that setback or that harm from that situation. So, yeah, yeah, I love that one. And usually, I ask my guests to teach it to me when they answer <laughs> this question. And I feel like that was a long one, and we would be here for another hour. I think. Um, But if you want to teach me part of it, I would love to learn part of it. Yeah, we could do the second half. Okay. Uh, so I'll, I'll just say it and then we'll break it down word by word. Okay. Uh, so the first word is حاول. حاول. أن. أن. اتغير. One more time. اتغير. Perfect. Tariqat. 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 Perfect. Tafkirak. Tafkirak. An. 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 Al Mawakif. Al Mawakis. Perfect. You're right there. You're right there with me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know if I'm right there with you maybe my enthusiasm is <laughs> but you, I mean you see there's a lot of there's a lot of letters in there that are not easily I think right translated or or transcribed in in English like right. the letter ha I don't even know if that really exists in English like we have a we have two letters for that like ha and ha They're two distinct letters, two different sounds. And I think English uh, doesn't, you know, capture both of those. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's challenging. It is very challenging. And I'm still struggling with the chayn. So it's like, uh, I cannot get the sound to come out of the back of my throat. <laughs> I'm working on it. Like I'm working on getting the sound to start there. So mm-hmm. um, that. That's my experience in, in, in Arabic class. I've never had a class where a lot of the conversation is about where to place your tongue mm. when pronouncing a word. Like this sound comes from the back of your throat. This sound comes from more through your teeth. Make mm-hmm. sure to place your tongue uh, on the top of your mouth when pronouncing this word. It's like, right. it's like so, so physical in, in how you, uh, it requires so much like understanding of where to place your your how to orient your mouth in order to pronounce some of those words so. right right and everyone should know that so if you're listening and you're you're on your arabic language journey find someone who can help you with that placement and <laughs> <laughs> make your life a lot easier than mine is right now so mm. um Bilal, once again um i'm honored that you shared so much of your story with me and so much of your, your, your life and experiences. And um, I've really had a great time chatting with you today. 
uh, really quickly, mm-hmm. don't think too hard. What in this situation, what would be the best way to say goodbye? Uh, one of the many ways to say goodbye, but I think the, the simplest way is to say Marsalema, which means with safety. Marsalema. Marsalema, perfect. Marsalema, Bilal. Shukran. <laughs> Thank you so much again for talking to me, and I'll be talking to you soon. All right. Later, Al. Appreciate Bye. it. Bye. <laughs> Bye.